This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Melinda Wilwright-Brown, whose friends call her Mindy, grew up on both coasts in Palo Alto, California, and in Belmont, Massachusetts. She attended BYU, where she earned a degree in economics. She and her husband have lived in Salt Lake City, North Carolina, and Seattle, and finally returned them to Utah, a final destination they never anticipated, but which they love. They have four adult children, two married, and two little grandsons, whom they absolutely adore. An avid defender and advocate of womanhood, Mindy recently wrote and published her first book, Even Adam, Discovering the Beautiful Balance. She enjoys working with woman-empowering nonprofits and currently chairs the board of the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. She plans to return to school to pursue a master's degree just as soon as she makes time to study for the GRE. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. And the second episode in our Anchors of Faith series, where we will be discussing the plan of salvation. I'm Tara McCausland. I want to welcome our listeners and Mindy onto the show. Thank you, Mindy, for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, I have to say, I read Mindy's book, Eve and Adam, and loved it, which is why I reached out to her. Mindy is a very kind, wise, intelligent soul. So I'm super excited to learn from you, Mindy. Oh, thank you. So to start us off, when did you start recognizing the fruits of the gospel in your life? And what would you say were some of those fruits you you saw initially? Um, I think probably, I would say it was my early teen years. Um, I probably have some of my my first memories, I'd say by the time I'm 10 or 11, um, and then as a young teenager. For me, I would say that uh, the most recognizable fruits early on, and probably even still, are the feelings I have of, of hearing or feeling the Spirit communicate with me. Um, by that, I guess I mean the actual ways that I physically feel that witness of the Holy Ghost, uh, whether the message is one of warning or prompting or confirmation. Um, I think I've been blessed with a very strong connection between my mo- mind and body, and that combination, my soul, uh, really feels like all the feels, as they say these days. Um, and those feelings frequently manifest themselves, for me, um, in tears, which, to be honest, I often resent, and I really fight to overcome that. (laughs) But um, I've come to realize that I'd rather have those feelings than not have them. And um, they make it really easy for me to recognize spiritual promptings, and that is a huge blessing. And um, in terms of what I would identify that fruit as, I would say it's happiness, that I, um, you know, feeling, being able to recognize the spirit in my life and following it um, just really helps me to feel happy. It, it's, its results and consequences bring happiness, and I'm just happy when I pay attention to it. And so to me, I'm really probably the best word of all, and a word that we'll talk about throughout our discussion, I imagine, is joy. And I, I feel joy, and that's the fruit that I love. I love it. Well, I am a kindred crier. Sometimes I think it's because I have like way too much estrogen in me, but I know that that's also how I feel the spirit sometimes. It's indicated through my emotions. And so now I, I feel you on that point. But, <laughs> but I love that, that it just, the fruit is happiness, is joy. And I think that's a great jumping point because, you know, we, we talk about the plan and the plan of salvation has so many names, but my favorite is the plan of happiness. Mine too. I love it. This past conference, April, 2020, President Oaks gave an awesome talk called the great plan. And he shared a quote that I wanted to mention here. He said, I share the conviction that has come to me from many letters 
and by reviewing many requests to return to the church after name removal or apostasy. Many of our members do not fully understand this plan of salvation, which answers most questions about the doctrine and inspired policies of the restored church. When I heard that, I was like, I'm using that somewhere. And here we are. (laughs) I thought that was a really profound statement. But what are your thoughts on what he said? I agree that so many of us, I think, don't gather uh, the full meaning of the plan, the full significance of it. Um, It's truly fundamental to everything else. Everything else is built upon the um, reality of that plan and the fact that it was always the plan, that we're not living a backup plan or a plan B because anybody messed up. This was always the plan, was to have this mortal experience. And I think um, that perspective and seeing the big picture is really, really key. And, you know, I think actually one one element that I I, I think maybe gets difficult is when we look at life as um, just mortality and mortal life, it's easy to get hung up with issues and, and struggles and problems. Whereas if we see it as the great plan of happiness, I think when we recognize it that way, we look at it more in terms of um, the infinite plan starting way, way, way back into pre-mortality and going way into the future, into the eternities. And that broader perspective is really helpful for managing the challenges of mortality. So that's one of the reasons I love thinking about the plan as being so fundamental to what we're going through right now. And so I, th- I think that was at least a piece of what Elder Oaks, what President Oaks was referring to there is that sometimes um, we don't we don't really take in the huge picture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I have my son, my oldest son, who's twelve, frequently asking me great gospel questions lately, mm-hmm. and I find myself coming back to this big, expansive vision that we need to have in order to understand this little piece called mortality, mm-hmm. and. I was explaining to him the other day, um, and I can't even remember what his question was, but it's probably irrelevant. I said, you know, I get that there are a lot of things that are confusing here, but just like if you were to go to a play and it stopped in the second act, everything is in turmoil and everything seems to be falling apart. You know, you have to come back after intermission for the third act to see everything come together. Because otherwise, it will feel very, very unfair. And nobody likes to go to a play that only has, that stops at the second act. Oh, isn't that true? Yes. <laughs> I think seeing life as a three-act play is really, really helpful. That's a great way to describe it. I love that. So I think that, as President Oaks was, was pointing out, that if we really do come to grasp the expansiveness, uh, the infinite plan of mm-hmm. our Father... And recognizing this is just a blip in our existence. Yes. That we can uh, find answers to a lot of our questions. And as he said, understand a lot of the doctrine and the inspired policies uh, within the framework of the plan. But without it, it is very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And, And I would just say, too, that one of the things that led me to write my book, well, I should say, to start doing the research that resulted in writing my book, um, was trying to figure out, um, I I thought I understood what the doctrine was, especially about uh, issues relating to women and womanhood and the relationship between men and women. But I was seeing so many discrepancies between what I thought that doctrine was and what I was seeing lived by so many people um, worldwide, but also people close to home, that I felt like, you know, there was this gap between what I thought was the truth and then what I was witnessing. And I needed to figure out for myself, uh, first, is there a gap? Is there a difference there? Um, As opposed to say, do I not understand the doctrine? And is this is what I'm witnessing actually 
the doctrine because if so, I don't really like that. And I see a lot of problems with that. Um, and then if in fact there was a gap, which yes, I determined there was a gap there, where does that gap come from? What, what causes that gap? My big aha sort of moment, light bulb moment in the research was when I recognized it's just the nature of the fallen world and mortality and everyone's agency clashing together that causes that gap. And um, for me, I really needed to prove to myself that I had done the research and knew what the doctrine was and that our heavenly parents do in fact love their daughters every bit as much as their sons, that that womanhood is sacred and that it's wonderful and um, that the doctrine is beautiful even if its lived reality does not always reflect that. Mm, that's so good. And I might even extend that beyond what you said because I, I get that kind of the disconnect between uh-huh. what we see play out sometimes uh, in the church as far as issues with within gender roles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I believe in my core, which is that I am a daughter of God, equally loved, equally capable yes. as my spouse, as, as anyone, but extending that to any person who feels like a second-class citizen in the yes. church for whatever reason you feel like maybe you don't fit the mold or that you're not celestial material or something that came to mind. This is a little bit random. I served my mission in England and it's kind of the the classic thing that people come away with when they've traveled in England, the mind the gap. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. You step off of the train. And I was thinking, mind the gap. When, when you feel that in yourself, whether it be because you're a female and you're feeling lesser than in the church or perhaps, you know, LGBT individuals feel like second-class citizens in the church, whatever it might be, mind the gap. And remember, we are living in a fallen world. Yes. And when that gap is filled, when we can see the full picture and this plan that God has for all of us, there's a way for each one of us to have a fullness of joy, yes. to receive all that he has and to experience his blessings and his grace. Yeah. And, and I think just to extend that metaphor one step further, because I think this is the most beautiful part of that is I don't think in this fallen world, in this stage of our existence, that gap is going to close completely, you know, not in, not for a long time. Is that, are we going to make that happen? You know, the millennial reign perhaps will be able to close that gap. But in the meantime, we can make a bridge over that gap. And that bridge is our savior and it's the atonement. That's what bridges the gap. And so I, I, that's how I see the atonement supporting the plan so beautifully, like just perfectly. It's that bridge. Thank you. I agree. Well, to move on, um, in the introduction of your book, you share a great quote by Elder Holland, where he states, we cannot fully comprehend the atonement and resurrection of Christ, and we will not adequately appreciate the unique purpose of his birth or his death without understanding that there was an actual Adam and Eve who fell from an actual Eden with all the consequences that the fall carried with it. So according to Elder Holland, the fall and the atonement of Jesus Christ are inextricably linked. I wanted you to maybe expand on that a little bit, why that is, and what what are your thoughts on that? Okay. Um, well, I, I should issue a little caveat here as we get rolling on on these questions, because I think, you know, a lot of people joke about Sunday school answers or primary answers. And, you know, those are always go to church, read your scriptures, say your prayers. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think the number one answer for me, and that just will come up again and again and again, is just a one word answer, and that is agency. Um, And I really see the connection there between the fall and the atonement as having everything to do with agency. I don't think it's possible for us to overstate the value of the gift of agency. Um, It has an unbelievably transformative, um, incredible power to it because of how it allows us to learn through experience. And it was agency that really drew forth that requirement for a savior. 
Um, we know that in the premortal councils, um, Satan's plan did not allow for agency and it didn't need a savior. I mean, he was just going to make us do things. Um, it was in really preserving that fundamental gift that we had to have a savior to go with it, that there was no other way um, because agency is driven um, by growth, which is built on trial and error, not on perfection, which is what Satan would have preferred. He thought that was a safer plan or at least one that would give him the glory. Um, and that um, you know, each of us individually and premortally had to make the same decision that Eve and then Adam made in the garden to choose to take this next step in progression, which was a mortal existence. And um, it was just so crucial that that Eve opened that doorway into mortality for us, really as a proxy for each of us in her, in her doing that, opening the door to birth um, for all of us. Then in conjunction with that, Christ's miraculous birth, his condescension to come and experience mortality like us, according to the flesh in a physical body in this mortal world, uh, along with his death, his atonement, his crucifixion and his resurrection really has everything to do with respecting our agency and allowing for our learning by experience. Um, and so I think that's really how that fits together and why it's so critical really that we understand that there we do we did have first parents adam and eve and that they chose to step into mortality um, on behalf of all of us and that we each made that same choice though in different circumstances mm -hmm. now and this might be just an extension of what you just said but i was thinking as i was preparing for this interview of an, ex an experience that I had as an EFY counselor a long time ago. And mm -hmm. I recall one of the kids in my group asking why God would put Eve and Adam in an apparently lose-lose situation, you know, in his mind, giving what appeared to be contradictory commandments where one could not be kept without violating the other. And they were commanded to, you know, multiply and replenish the earth, but they couldn't do this without eating the fruit, God told them they shouldn't eat. And this seemed really super unfair <laughs> to this young man. So how might you have responded to him with that question? Because I think that's a fair question. Why, why did Eve have to be the proxy? Couldn't have God just put us on earth in this fallen state? Mm. Yeah, uh, that is a good question. And that's a question that so many people ask. Um, I think you know, when I've had discussions, when when people hear what I've spent years studying and writing about and all of that, um, so often this is this is exactly the thing that they bring up, the same as this young man did with you as his EFY counselor, is this um, struggling with the notion of conflicting commandments. And one of the things that I think is fascinating is that if we really look at this as a metaphor for our lives, I don't think anything could be a more accurate depiction uh, of what we go through in mortality than so-called conflicting commandments. We don't normally think of them as conflicting commandments because of course we weren't, you know, we're not having this direct experience with our Heavenly Father or divinity telling us these things and these rules that we're supposed to, to do that are mutually exclusive. But the thing that does happen all the time in our lives is we either need to choose between two really good choices, but we can only choose one of them. And so we've got to decide, we've got to prioritize which one seems like the more valuable, better choice for us at that, at that moment. Um, or we have two terrible choices that we don't like either of our options and we have to pick one of them. Um, or lots of times we need to kind of the, the good, better and best principle that that we've got lots of options and we've got to figure out because um, time is finite and our energy and, and all these things are finite here in this life that we're going to have to make a choice. And um, again, I think it's a one word answer and it's agency um, to have mutually exclusive choices given to them. And now let's let's switch back to even Adam's options here. Um, 
that really required that they had to make a choice because choosing one, uh, while that was a choice, the other, if, if they didn't, if they didn't choose to eat the tree, then they were choosing not to do the other. I mean, they're, either way, they were making a choice, mm-hmm. right? There was no um, safe place for them to just step back and refuse to choose because either way re- uh, represented a choice that they were making. And so in that regard, it was just all about agency that um, it, they had to do something. They had to use their intelligence and figure out with the information they had at that point what the best option was for them at that time. And um, I think one thing that is important to remember is that we have no sense of the length of time that they spent in the garden. You know, some depictions would lead us to believe that it was 10 minutes and then they chose to eat and they're moving on. But it could have been eons that they were in the garden. And while they were there, what we do know is that they were being tutored and that they were learning a lot of really wonderful things. In fact, it's Elder Holland in his wonderful book, um, Christ in the New Covenant. He talks about that they were being taught the gospel in its fullness in the garden. So while they were um, certainly innocent, they were not ignorant. Mm-hmm. And so when they had gathered enough information that they felt like they could make that choice, then they went ahead and did that. Now, the other piece of the puzzle that I imagine this young man talking to you would have gotten to next is, well, why did God allow Satan into the garden? Why was there, why was he allowed to tempt them? And how was that fair? That's also the other thing that people really struggle with was why was that fair? And for me, I actually think this is an easy one for me to wrap my head around. Um, And this is the way I describe this. So I have four children and one of them is just really particularly obedient. Like she just loves to choose the right. And um, she loves me as her mother. She just loves to make me happy. And I know that when she's faced with a really big decision, her her preference would be to turn to me and say, mom, what should I do? Mm -hmm. And if I would give her an answer, she would not even hesitate to say, okay, great, that's what I'll do. And she just moved right along, right? And um, I've really had to learn with her, especially with far reaching decisions, you know, now that she's in college and things, I like have to practice my best poker face. I mean, she just, I need her to not know what I want her to do, because I think it's too important that she bear the full weight of her decision. I don't want her ever down the road to look back at me when things get hard, and they will. I don't want her to turn back and say, oh, why did I listen to you? You know, why did I let you tell me to do that? Or you made me do that. You know, it's your fault that I'm going through this hard thing. I need her 100% to say, well, I chose this. And at the time, I made my best choice given the information I had and I can figure it out. I'm just going to make the best and figure it out. And I'm going to let Christ help me make up any, any differences that I have here. And we're going to get through this. And I think that it, that's very applicable to what our heavenly parents needed Eve to feel. She had to have enough uncertainty at that moment about eating that fruit that it really and truly was her decision, that it wasn't that she had figured out, oh, I think this is part of the plan. I love my heavenly parents. I'm going to do this because I'm pretty sure that this is what they actually want me to do. You know, there needed to be some uncertainty. So it was fully on her. And she would know from there out, I made this choice and I will figure this out. And with the help of my savior, I can do that. So that's how I I describe that to to questioning souls like that sweet young man. Well, I think those those two points are are excellent explanations. I don't know if you're familiar with the Infinite Atonement by Tad Callister. Oh, yes, one of my, one of my all-time favorites. Books. So yeah, good. amazing. Yeah. Um and I I don't know, maybe maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I want to say that he drew out those arguments, but in particular that it did have to be even Adam that brought the fall 
upon themselves, essentially, because if we had, had just been placed in a fallen world, then that would have been in the face of agency. God would have been breaking that, that law, essentially, that yes. we had to choose for ourselves. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think one other point that's worth mentioning here is that God's character and the nature of God also required this because um, I really have a strong testimony that his commitment is to truth and goodness, always, that he is always truthful. Uh, he cannot lie and he cannot deceive. So he had to tell the truth about the consequences of eating that fruit. They would die if they ate that fruit. Um, and he's also always good and loving. And if anything will hurt us or cause us pain, he must warn us of that. Uh, he cannot support evil or condone wickedness. And eating that fruit would definitely bring about suffering and pain just because of the consequences of mortal life and living in a fallen world. And so he had to tell them not to do that because his nature depended on it. So I think that's another key piece of it. For our listeners, you may be wondering why we are focusing on the fall. Now, obviously, Mindy wrote a book specifically on the fall, but I think it's really key to understand our beginnings so that we can understand our purpose and our, our end. Beginnings are important. And if, we, if we've got the beginning mixed up, which mm -hmm. a lot of the Christian world does, and we're going to get into that, um, not, not their fault necessarily, but if we don't understand our beginning, then the rest of it doesn't make very much sense. And the rest of it feels very unfair. And we don't make that strong connection, that inextricable link between the fall and the need for a savior. And so just in case anybody was wondering why we're focusing so much on the fall, that's why. Understanding yeah. our beginning to understand our purpose and our end. So yeah. we read in Second Nephi, you know, the well-known scripture mastery, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. There's that joy word. Mm -hmm. Now, as I had just mentioned, this is a major departure from the belief of the rest of the Christian world, which is that the fall was not part of God's plan, but a tragic step backward. Now, I think if you were to poll a very group of Latter-day Saints, they would say that the fall was a good and necessary event in God's plan. But I don't know about you, but I still hear members of the church and even myself sometimes ask the oft-repeated questions of, how could God allow this to happen? Or why is life so hard? Or why do bad things happen to good people? So why is fully embracing this truth that Adam fell, that they might be, that we might be, but more importantly, that we might have joy essential to anchoring our faith in God's plan. Let's start with that verse that you shared from 2 Nephi chapter 2. Um, I wish that we would even have memorized the verses that come before that. Um, and actually, I'm just going to open my scriptures right here because I don't have them memorized either. But um, I love... Uh, 23 through 25, and and really as a whole, they really echo and um, harmonize so beautifully with with the verse that I think of as Eve's ode to joy, which is Moses 5:11, where she talks about joy. Um, they really bring up all those same points, but smack in the middle of this part um, from Nephi, he says in 24, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. And I think that's a really important precursor to Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy, is this kind of being reminded that this is all wisdom in God. This does fill this big plan. Um, and one thing I was thinking as you were saying, uh, as you're kind of leading in with that question, is in the premortal realm, if we believe what, what prophets have taught us about that realm and what went on there in the councils of heaven, um, we know that when the Savior presented his alternative plan to Satan's suggested plan, that we were there and we listened to those and we got to choose which of those made more sense to us. And I can really imagine this playing out with this group of people, with all of us there listening to him 
And we know um, also from prophetic and apostolic statements that even in the in premortality, we had different levels of intelligence based on our diligence. And but um, I can really imagine that there were some of us who looked around and thought, uh, I don't know that I want that guy over there to have agency. Like, I don't think that's going to work so well for me. He seems like he could get pretty power hungry. Um, and I think he could cause problems, you know. And and I think the nature of our heavenly parents and their love for goodness and truth, like I mentioned earlier, is such that I think they were completely honest and forthright and said and would have said, you're right, you're right, there are going to be some really rotten things that happen. And some of you are going to suffer greatly at the hands of other people's uh, abused agency or abusive agency. And um, I can imagine knowing myself as well as I feel like I do, that the only way that I would have agreed to this is if I looked to my Savior, of course, he was our Savior even then. We, we recognized him as our Savior even then, infinitely then. Um, I can see that, that I would have thought, you know what? I trust him. He, if he says he can make this work out for our good, he can. And I love him and trust him so well, I'm willing to do it. Let's do it. I think it's going to be great. And somehow it's going to work out. I just, I trust him. And I think that that trust in our savior back then can really inform our trusting him now. If we can hang on to that faith and, and um, that doctrinal belief that, that that did in fact happen. And we agreed to it then just as actively as Eve taking a bite of that fruit that we said, yes, sign me up. I will do it. I just think that that can really help us trust him now as well. I think that certainly if we had the faith then in the Savior to come here, that and that sustained us then, if we can find that faith again, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, that Christ can bring us through. Mm-hmm. and He will wipe our tears away one day, but even now he can succor us. In this podcast, I talk to a lot of people about really painful experiences. Yeah. And things that could break you. But what I find is that often these people, they they come out not broken, but powerful and brave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's because of the Savior that that's possible. But also this lesson that I keep learning over and over, and that is that pain is my greatest tutor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I can give it to Christ so that it can be sanctified. Yes, yes. Sanctified, Um, that's so great. There was an awesome talk by Elder Lawrence Corbridge of the Mm -hmm. 70s, Mm -hmm. and it was called Surviving and Thriving Like the Pioneers. It was so good. Um, He said that you can suffer and never know joy, but you can't have joy without suffering. Oh, that's great. And I just thought, you know, there it is. We Adam and Eve had to fall so that we could experience the opposites. Because yeah. without the opposites, there there is no joy. There is no progression. Yes. And even though sometimes that feels like too simplistic of an answer, when someone is truly suffering and, and something really horrific has happened in their life and they're asking and shaking their fist at God, how could this happen? Mm-hmm. But I do believe, just as you said, that if we had faith in Christ then. If we can draw on that faith now and allow our pain to be sanctified we will see that it wasn't all in the wisdom of God, all of this pain and suffering and and now joy, as we can understand. Yeah, I think you're so right. I think, um, you know, for me, the word joy has just really become Eve's word. Like she just personifies joy to me because I see her as just embracing the beautiful learning experience of mortality. Like all along the way, I can just imagine that throughout her entire mortal life, she was relatively happy, even during some of the really awful spots. And we know she had those. Um, I I think she 
just like you said, she just really recognized that, oh, it's just all learning. This is, it's like the ultimate in growth mindset, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Carol Dweck talks about that it's all good. And that perspective is so empowering. In fact, just the other day, a good friend of mine shared with me a motto that her daughter often uh, repeats and her daughter struggles with a really, really debilitating chronic illness. It's just tragic. And she said that um, her favorite motto is I am at peace with my pain and empowered by my joy and I've just thought Mm. the last several days I can't get that phrase out of my head empowered by joy and honestly like in a nutshell that is what we can learn from Eve and Adam is how to be empowered by joy by seeing joy as that comparison of learning from the good and the bad and the juxtaposition of those things and how those choices make us feel. And, you know, the whole big physical mortal package experience is really one of figuring out joy, which is growth. And that can be empowering. So I I just, you know, nothing else I'd say oh think about that empowered by joy that's those are really strong meaningful words that's a big message mm-hmm. so here we are Adam and Eve or even Adam we'll put it in the, uh, the other order <laughs> I just like them flipped about yes. 50 50 that's I, I like it too I like it too uh, they partook of the fruit and we have all landed here in mortality and one of the primary purposes of our coming to earth was to receive a body be taught and cared for by, ideally, a mother and a father, and later marry and raise our own family. And the doctrine of the family begins with, as we know, with heavenly parents, families are the order of heaven. Marriage between a man and a woman is a core doctrine taught by our leaders and hotly disputed in today's world. And obviously there are arguments surrounding the value of traditional marriage for a myriad of reasons. But I would say that one of the the biggest challenges or greatest threats to the institution of marriage is the contention we see between the sexes. And we are living in a world where men and women are at war with one another, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But this contempt is at the root of some of our greatest difficulties in the world, like abuse, uh, gender discrimination, divorce. Mm -hmm. So you, you talked a bit about this in your book, where you think some of this contempt, particularly uh, targeted toward women, comes from. But how would better understanding the mutual decision to partake of the fruit, because it was a mutual decision, even though Eve partook first, mm-hmm. and the equal but different roles of Eve and Adam help mend some of these rifts between men and women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... So, like you said, I do think that um, there have been so many misunderstandings and misapplications of uh, this this fundamental origin story of ours, right? Which which we happen to believe in our faith culture or our faith tradition is true that there was an Adam and an Eve and that they did fall. Um, But I think debunking those misunderstandings and misapplications is really key. And like I said earlier, recognizing what the actual doctrine is, and that what we're seeing is just misapplied, misunderstood, that we're not seeing the doctrine being played out, we're seeing the misunderstandings being played out. Um, That's tragic. And I think kind of one of the goals of my book project and everything was, I would love to see members of our church and our faith traditions really understanding the doctrine so well that we do a better job applying it so that outsiders looking at us and watching us would be able to see crystal clear what we actually believe. Because I think a lot of times there's a difference between uh, what we preach or profess to believe and what we actually practice. And I wish that that would line up a whole lot closer. Like I wish it were perfectly aligned. Obviously, I think we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's key. But like Sister Bingham, she gave such a great 
talk in April General Conference about this. And uh, there were a couple of, of quotes that I just have really embraced from that uh, that just seemed to resonate with me again and again when I have discussions like this. And um, one of those was that she said, seeing women as vital participants is not about creating parity, but about understanding doctrinal truth. And I think that's a lot of what President Oaks was saying in, in the quote you shared earlier from him, is that um, it's we don't need a new program, right? Like we don't need to try something different and see if this will work better, but we just actually need to really get to the bottom of what we believe. Like what is the doctrine? And then we need to live it and apply it right. Um, and I think that's that's really key. I think another um, thing that she brought up in that talk is that the most effective way to fulfill our divine potential is to work together. And we're so blessed uh, within the restored gospel of Jesus Christ to have restoration scriptures. And in Moses chapter five, we get 16 whole verses, kind of a bonus section, how I think of it, um, that's not included in the Genesis account that we we assume has been removed over the ages from the Genesis account. And those 16 verses just talk all about everything that Adam and Eve did together. And um, those are powerful verses. We learn so much from that, that they really were better together. And I think that that's so true. Um, and then a third point that Sister Bingham made that I really think we could all stop and think about for a while is that she said that Adam and Eve understood that their earthly purpose and their eternal goal were identical. And I think sometimes mm. we kind of separate those somehow in our mind. We kind of compartmentalize. And, you know, maybe I mean, at the extreme, we could describe it as, oh, on Sundays, we think about our eternal goal. On Monday through Saturday, we think about our earthly purpose. And I think that's a mistake to separate it that way. I think if we could remember that they're one and the same, that the whole purpose of what we're going through here on earth is to help us in our big picture eternal goals. And we are absolutely better together. We are we complement each other so well and we need each other. It's really we're we're meant to do this together. It's like what Paul says in First Corinthians eleven eleven, where he says, Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord, that we really do go together and we make a whole together. We're we're both neither of us are complete without the other. I think sometimes, and this is going, kind of going back to what we were talking about initially, where sometimes as women, we may feel like second-class citizens mm -hmm. in church. And sometimes it may feel like, where where am I in the eternal narrative? Like, I don't know much mm -hmm. about Heavenly Mother and mm -hmm. what does she do? And what do my responsibilities look like? And I don't know how long ago it was that I made this connection. And it's not novel, but I realized, you know, we go to the temple and we talk about how not only are we better together, but it is only together that we are exalted and celestialized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about God, we are talking about male and female. Absolutely. Together. We sometimes forget that, that God the Father would not be God the Father without God the Mother. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's and right. while we may, and I think we're doing a lot better yeah. We're talking so much more about our heavenly parents mm -hmm. and about, uh, you know, the, the great gospel topics essay uh, on Heavenly Mother, which I loved and appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, she, she's becoming a part of the conversation yes. in church, and that's so important. But remembering that that just because, you know, we don't pray to her or you know, we don't have a, a checklist of what it is she does. I think we can make some pretty good assumptions <laughs> yes. about the type of role she plays in our yes. lives. Well, and, you know, I would say, too, that I think um, really uh, learning everything we can about Adam and Eve and their relationship with each other really can help bridge that gap um, about what we long to understand and know more about our heavenly parents. Um, for me, I I can relatively easily picture kind of what that mentoring and tutoring in the garden looked like. Um, one thing that we know, and, and I go into this in some detail in my book, is that the, the 
sacred name Elohim is actually a plural name. And for me, I find a lot of comfort in when I hear that name used or when I use that name to see both of them together. And so I can um, imagine both of our heavenly parents there tutoring Eve and Adam and being these spectacular role models for them. You know, I know that in other faith traditions, um, I've heard really um, optimistic scholars who are really trying to honor and respect Eve and, and understand her role better kind of muse at how amazing it is that uh, she and Adam figured out how to have a good relationship, a good mortal relationship, having had no role models. And I think, you know, we're really um, blessed with that understanding that, wait, they did have role models. They had a fabulous um, dual partnered role model in our heavenly parents. And so I like to think that the more we understand their relationship, the closer that brings us to understanding our heavenly parents' relationship. Because I do believe that they were modeling what they saw our heavenly parents doing. And um, to me, that's a huge blessing in understanding their story better. I do believe, as you've been saying, Mindy, that as we study more about the relationship of Adam and Eve, that we can come to appreciate one another more. Mm -hmm. And so I would suggest, uh, if that's something that you struggle with, uh, you need to read Min Mindy's book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, I'll put a plug over that, but it, it's it, you do a great job of teaching that interdependence and that we really are better together, that we don't have to fight each other. We can be one and we can rise together, which is really a beautiful awesome. thought. That's right. But one of my favorite Bible verses is 1 Corinthians 15.22 which states, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we've been talking that Adam's fall was a necessity so that we could progress as our, our Heavenly Father intends us to. And Christ wasn't sent as a backup plan. That was the plan. <laughs> and it states plainly that we will all die in that scripture and we will all be made alive through Christ. So immortality is a gift given freely as a result of Christ's atonement, but eternal life, as we understand it, requires us to become something, to become as God is, so that not only can we live with him again, but live like him. How does our understanding that through Adam all die, and through Christ all are made alive, help us understand the inclusive and grand nature of God's plan for not just members of the church, we're, we're pretty few in comparison to the human race, but for all of the human race. Mm, yeah. Um, well, you know, like I, I was kind of mentioning earlier that I love to look at that big picture. You know, we hear a lot of talk these days about the covenant path. And I think some people, if they're just going to rattle what that looks like um, off, you know, on their fingers are going to say baptism endowment, ceiling, temple ceiling sort of thing. Um, I really like to take that into a broader perspective. We know that premortally there was a covenant made between our heavenly parents and our savior. And, um, and to some extent or another, we participated in it as well when we accepted him as our savior and chose mortality and, and to step into this next estate. Um, and then we also know that after this life, um, we have further steps that we'll take. I happen to feel like um, resurrection is an, is an ordinance that will happen, you know, after this life and that there may well be others along that, along that path. So I like to see that bigger picture of the covenant path. And for me, um, that really helps me make sense of uh, how inclusive and grand the plan really can be. Because I think eternal progression is very much a real thing. Like I, I think this, like you said at the very beginning, mortality is a blip. I just think this is such a tiny piece of the big, um, big long spectrum of, of infinity that we will live through. 
eternal progression is really key in recognizing that different people will take different paths and will it will take different lengths of time to get there. There are different routes that we can take. There are lots of winding roads in that. There are lots of ups and downs and all of our paths will look a little bit different getting there. Um, I love that in this this last general conference in April, we heard a couple of really great mentions about eternal progression. President Nelson mentioned it. He said, we're always progressing, even in the next life, we're making progress. And Elder Oaks talked about it in the talk. He mentioned the great plan. He says that the purpose of mortal life and the post-mortal growth that can follow it is for the offspring of God to become like he is. And so I think that bigger picture helps us um, understand that that this is a plan for everybody i don't think anybody is going to be left behind anybody who wants to return to live with our heavenly parents and be with christ a way will be created for that and we will all get there eventually but it's a big time frame that we can't even really wrap our heads around amen well i i made a previous episode about the the grand and inclusive plan Mm-hmm. and where the church falls in that plan, uh-huh. what the church, what the church's um, role is, I should say, in that plan. Because I mm-hmm. think it, oftentimes, because we know we're just a small drop in the bucket, the membership of the church compared to the rest of humanity, mm-hmm. sometimes it leaves some of us scratching our heads like, how does this work? We know that covenants matter. Mm-hmm. Um but like you said, I, I do believe in eternal progression. I do believe that God will provide a way for every single one of his children, if they so choose, to yeah. return to him. And no one will be left behind. And so mm-hmm. if that's something that you're interested in, um, I would suggest to my listeners that you go back and listen to that episode. Um, I talk more about the church's role, um, but truly how grand and inclusive our Heavenly Father's plan is. Uh, because our Heavenly Father, he's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> I think he can figure out a way to to save more than just a handful of his children. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we go through challenges that will stretch us sometimes to what feels like beyond what we can handle. But would you be willing to share a struggle you've faced in your life and how your testimony of the plan has helped sustain you during a difficult time? Yes, Absolutely. Um, yeah, there have been several I could choose from, but um, probably the one that is uh, kind of ongoing and most re- recent and um, close to my heart these days is um, my youngest child. She just graduated from high school and is headed off to college here in the next month or so. Um, the last couple of years, she has uh, kind of started to off-road things, as I like to think of it. Um, She's sort of beating her own path. She's going off the one that, you know, might be my first choice for her, um, exploring some some different ways of life and um, making some different choices that ultimately I think um, she is, is going to learn from. And I hope she comes back to the path soon. But you know she might not. It might be a it might be a while before she comes back to the path, and um, I think everybody learns differently. And in her case, um, we kind of feel like she is at a stage where she needs to get out and learn things the hard way. That's kind of what's going to work better for her, and um, her choices have made that a reality that she's going to be learning some things the hard way and i think several years ago if this had happened with one of my older kids um it would have been really really debilitating to me um and and it was with her as well i don't i don't want it to sound like it was just like a walk in the park or that it has been it hasn't there have been a lot of really hard hard days and hard moments and um a lot of soul searching about you know, maybe what I could have done differently or, or um, things like that. And that's that's hard. I don't even like to go there because I just have to trust that I did my best at the time with what I had to work with. And I think I did. But, um, you know, everybody is different. And she's just choosing a different route. And um, I can see now from 
especially because I worked through this big research project and writing project and everything, um, the big picture has helped me navigate this new experience so, so much. I'm so grateful for what I've learned and my increased understanding. I, that's not to say that there's not a lot more growth for me or a lot more I can understand. I'm, I'm sure there's so much more to come and I can't wait to learn more and understand better. But, um, you know, in the early days when I was trying to wrap my head around kind of her announcement that she wasn't interested in having the gospel as part of her life, at least for now, um, and I was kind of reeling from that, it was really sweet to see each of my other children individually sort of rally around me and express their love for both me and for her, my my daughter who's who's wandering. Um, and each of them individually said, kind of on different occasions, Mom, you wrote a book about this. Like, mm. this is the plan, remember? You can do this. You get it. You get the plan. And, you know, we joke about that now and um, and we just say, yeah, you know what? There are lots of different ways to learn. And and she just happens to be a little bit different than the others. And she's going to learn this a different way. And I just have really nine out of 10 days. I have really great faith that it's all going to work out great. And we're all going to get there together eventually and um, in the process She's actually helping us, the the others of us who who are taking the more traditional path. She's helping us learn a lot of really important lessons also. So, you know, even though it's maybe not what I would have chosen, and I know there will be hard times when I watch her experience some hard things that I might feel like she could have avoided with through different choices. I feel like there are blessings all along the way because of the importance and the, the just beautifulness of the gift of agency. She just is, needs to figure it out her way. And um, Christ can help us all along the way in every other way. He won't take away the experience from us. He allows us to have that experience because we choose it, but he will bless us in every other way. To me, that really sustains me. And, and I can truly say, I feel very happy and joyful even on the days that I'm kind of shaking in my head, wondering where she got some of these ideas, but it's all okay. It's all working out. It's going to be fine. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm in a, a yeah. different phase of life where my, my kids are still young and you know I can still pretty much tell them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll do it. I'm trying not to be, you know, yes, modified agency. Right. Yes, you're <laughs> right. in the modified agency. When, when you're five, agency. you have limited agency. But, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, I appreciate the pain that could come with a wandering child. Mm-hmm. But like you, and I, I'm so grateful for this, if there's anything that a an expanded view and just a deep trust and belief in the plan, mm-hmm. what it has given me is peace. Yes. And what happens and how people use their agency and really believing that God is good and that all will be well in the yes. end. And when we talk about the fruit of the gospel, gosh, you know, what more could you want than peace yeah. in, the, in a world in total chaos? I think... As you share that, I hope that for those listening, if that's something that's not a part of what you're experiencing yet, I extend an invitation to really make a wholehearted study of the plan a part of, of your day, of your week. And, and once you receive a testimony of the plan, your lens will change. The world will look different. And there is peace and joy to be had regardless of what your circumstances are. But before I ask you the last question, Mindy, and I've loved this conversation. It's been so meaningful to me. I've learned so much. Um, Where is the best place for people to connect with you if they'd like to find you? Uh, Well, I'm on Instagram. We actually, two of my daughters and I have a real fun community there called Brave Like Eve. And uh, that's um, at brave.like.eve. And we would love to have any or all of you join us there. We we really have great conversations um, between all of our brave friends. 
is what we call them. And we love them. We have lots of love shared there. It's a happy place. It is a happy place. I really appreciate your posts. They're all very thoughtful. Thank you. So to end this awesome conversation, Mindy, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in the restored church of Jesus Christ? Well, I think this really just comes full circle to kind of where we started. Um, I I love that it's an ongoing restoration and that, that we're still learning and growing, that it's a transformative process that's still happening and has a ways to go here and, and will infinitely, I think, and that we can live with the Spirit, that we can have the Spirit as just a constant companion to guide us and comfort us and um, warn us, prompt us, all these different things, all those feelings uh, that I feel acutely. And, and ultimately, I just feel happy when I live this way. Really, some days I think, you know, if in the long run, if I if there comes a day that I find out that this was all bunk and, and there was nothing to it, I think I would say, who cares? Like, I had such a happy, good life. Like, I love my life. And it's through living the gospel and having the companionship of the Spirit that I think just really allows me to feel joy, even in life's thorny patches. And I'm so grateful for that. Well, thank you again, Mindy. Appreciate your time and testimony today. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at Church of Jesus Christ SR Podcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about still rowing. Thanks again for listening.